This Truthout article is a year old, but boy does it still speak volumes. Will Democratic Party elites dictate its primaries again? By Barbara G. Ellis. Truthout, published May 18, 2019. A few months ago, an online message to Democratic registrants from the National Democratic Training Committee featured a 2020 election ticket of Joe Biden and Beto O'Rourke. It asked what we thought of this winning 2020 pair. As a campaigner for Senator Bernie Sanders in the 2016 election, I was outraged by the Democratic National Committee, the National Democratic Training Committee's parent organization, lofting a trial balloon to subliminally embed its candidate choices on us more than a year before primaries. The training committee's online pitch serves as a reminder that Americans have been denied the power of choosing candidates by the machinations of the party's ruling class since the country's founding. Like the DNC's choice of Hillary Clinton for 2016, these party elites consider all of us a dangerous basket of deplorables. So it's not surprising that despite Bernie Sanders then being listed as the most trusted and most popular political candidate in the country by many progressive pundits, Biden's name was in that online poll. He's always been one of the DNC's elite, as the Wall Street Joe nickname suggests about the former vice president. None of the other candidates, it seemed, were able to qualify for that training committee's consideration. Even after Biden officially became a nominee, a Harvard-Harris poll on May 1st showed Sanders' favorable rating at 49% to Biden's 52% by its 1,536 respondents. Sanders' candidacy, however, represents the forgotten and struggling middle class boiling over at what those plutocratic decision-makers have done to wreck what was once the party of commoners. As the progressive magazine's editor-at-large, Ruth Conniff, recently observed, so far, no Democratic rising star has come close to overcoming Bernie Sanders' big base of support. As of the most recent Federal Elections Commission report, Sanders has raised the most money and had by far the largest number of small-dollar donors. Not since Franklin Delano Roosevelt welcomed the hatred of organized money have we had a serious presidential candidate who openly exposed class conflict in America and stuck up for ordinary citizens against the overwhelming power of the wealthy. This in turn has triggered paroxysms of fear and apoplectic fury among those in the Democratic establishment. They want to win the 2020 presidential election. I don't know that they really do but not with outspoken and grassroots supported candidates. Now this article does say nice things about Elizabeth Warren, and I can't read that without retching, so I won't. You can read it yourselves if you want to read nice things about Elizabeth Warren. Because as it turns out, she was anything but a populist insurgent. This next part of the article is the main part I wanted to read to you. Overthrowing the party establishment. Nevertheless, the DNC has been artfully blackballing the people's choice ever since the 1924 National Convention in New York City when diehard delegates of 19 candidates refused to cave to their pre-selected nominees. This forced conventioneers to spend 16 hot summer days to cast 103 ballots under the party's old two-thirds rule, which from 1832 to 1936 required a supermajority of delegate votes to win the presidential nomination. As a weary Massachusetts delegate complained to cohorts, either we must switch to a more liberal candidate or move to a cheaper hotel. 
So I wanted to show you that to show you that they've been railroading populist insurgents for a long time. Since then, the skills of DNC enforcers have come to rival those of the Russians accused of meddling in the 2016 election in terms of their abilities to crush popular outsiders and their planks. For good measure, after the 1980 nomination battle between Senator Ted Kennedy and President Jimmy Carter, DNC fixers staved off delegate revolts with the insurance policy of hundreds of superdelegates. Boo! The change permitted loyal party luminaries, 865 of them in 2016, to vote at Democratic conventions. But that hard-fought contest led to furious Sanders DNC members forcing the party's old guard to agree that superdelegates could vote only if candidates tied on the first ballot. Now, if voters want to overthrow the DNC's pre-selected choice, and I have a video of Hillary Clinton saying that she knew months and months and months ago, before this even, who the nominee was going to be. So this is not too strong a statement to say the DNC's pre-selected choice at the 2020 convention. And if they can't rig the convention, they'll just abolish it altogether. They don't give a fuck. Anyway, now if voters want to overthrow the DNC's pre-selected choice at the 2020 convention in Milwaukee next July, they will need 2,026 delegate votes at the outset. This means campaigners must make titanic efforts to get great numbers of ordinary people to participate in primaries and caucuses. Doesn't matter, they'll rig it anyway. The DNC's pre-selected ticket of Clinton and Tim Kaine in 2016's lesser evil election could explain why more than 21 million registered voters decided not to vote. Millions more didn't care to register or were denied that right by state-level voter suppression laws. Moreover, the combined third-party vote came to 7.6 million thanks to tens of thousands defecting from both parties. Democrats and progressives must center in on most Americans' interests and issues, not the DNC's fixation on Russiagate defeating Trump rather than impeaching him and stopping the Sanders movement. A mid-April CNN survey of Democrats and independents reported that the top two issues among these voters were mitigating the impacts of climate change, 96%, and passing Medicare for all, 91%. Most respondents agreed that any Democratic nominee should support such poll-listed priorities as tuition-free public colleges, impeaching Trump, reparations to slaves' descendants, and restoring voting rights for prisoners. You'd think if 96% of people agree on something, maybe they'd get it, especially in a party that's called Democratic, you'd think. The party elites look to Joe Biden. The DNC kingmaker's death grip on retaining the ring of power guarantees that none of those demands embodied in the progressive agendas of many of the declared candidates will be addressed or met. Desperate, the only candidate the party establishment could find was resurrecting loyal party acolyte Joe Biden. His only electable factor was name recognition from decades as a public servant. No, from decades as a corporate shill. I think that's what you meant to say, corporate shill. At the outset of Biden's candidacy, because of his name and the fact that he was President Obama's vice president, his poll numbers started with a bang. In the first week of May, he had a 32-point lead over all candidates, according to a Hill-Harris ex-poll of 440 Democratic and Independent voters. He had 46% compared to Sanders' 14%, 
South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg's 8% and Senator Elizabeth Warren's 7%. But a week later, 27% of those Biden supporters said their second choice was Sanders. The drawbacks to Biden's candidacy are considerable, chiefly that he has damaged political goods and out of touch with today's voters, two factors that would be immediately exposed the moment he entered the contest, depending on who's telling the story, of course. The DNC chiefs also knew his poll numbers might take a nice bounce after he entered the lists, but plummet once his track record was more widely revealed to voters. Have to say it's been tough to get his track record to be widely revealed to voters. Just saying. This public realization did indeed come just after the DNC's online pitch for the Biden-O'Rourke ticket. Political pundit Norman Solomon deduced that Biden's candidacy was meant to rescue the Democratic Party from Bernie Sanders. Further, pundit Paul Street saw Biden's baleful declaration that he can't stand by and let a second Trump term happen as phony melodramatics, writing, The irony is the best thing he could do to stop a second Trump term is to stand aside. Other stories exhumed Biden's plutocratic views and cruel congressional deeds, his ring-leading contemptuous treatment of witness Anita Hill in a hearing for Clarence Thomas's Supreme Court candidacy, unwelcome advances towards several women, consorting with Senate racists, protecting credit card companies against consumers, saving corporations from price-fixing lawsuits, permitting banks to become investment facilities, stripping aid to poor children, and favoring a means test for recipients of Social Security and Medicare. Worse were reminders about his enthusiastic vote for the Iraq War, his hard push for the job-killing North American Free Trade Act, NAFTA, and Trans-Pacific Partnership, TPP, and boasts that his greatest achievement in Congress was the 1994 crime bill that launched the mass incarceration of nonviolent drug offenders. Ignorant missteps followed. In an era of campaign finance reform and candidates like Sanders courting small donations from millions of modest means, Biden spent the evening of his announcement at a fundraiser staged by an executive of Comcast, hustling the CEO of health insurance colossus Independence Blue Cross, as well as Democratic lawmakers and other high-powered party players. To secure Labour's vote, he lavished attention on union leaders instead of the rank and file, well aware that NAFTA sent tens of thousands of manufacturing jobs overseas. He seems totally oblivious to the nationwide teacher strikes over pay, smaller classes, and taxpayer handouts to charter schools. Then came Biden's foreign bobble, though it revealed an outdated war hawkish position, he endorsed the Trump regime's attempts at overthrowing Venezuela's government to seize its only resource, the world's largest oil fields. His move came despite Congress's joint bills barring such action without its approval. Co-sponsors in the Senate included Sanders and 69 House Democrats, including presidential candidates Tulsi Gabbard and Seth Moulton. There are some nice things about Bernie in this article that I'm also not so sure about anymore, but you can read those yourself too if you like. Once Biden entered the race, it has become apparent to many DNC watchers and critics that its decision makers would fight any real battle threatening their status quo as they did in the 2016 primaries and caucuses and at the convention. As their obedient standard bearer, Biden will be uttering platitudes and warnings about the socialist leanings of the progressives. His only platform seems to be the thin gruel of anti-Trumpism, except for Venezuela, 
the bizarre battle for the soul of this nation and a middle ground approach to climate change, a stance that set off a perfect storm of protests from environmentalists and some fellow candidates. It remains to be seen, of course, if he can successfully pass off his past actions with today's voters in the months ahead by the old alibi of those were different times. Ultimately, whether Biden wins or loses the primaries makes little difference to the powers behind the DNC. They will still rule the Democratic Party and continue to have absolutely little interest in addressing the needs and lives of the increasingly restive 99%. If there ever has been a doubt in your mind that the DNC deserves to be blown to smithereens, this article should remove all doubt. The only way we're going to fix this mess, other than mass protests and labor stoppages, is to just stop voting for oligarchic sock puppets. Stop. None. Zero. Zilch. Nada. No. No. Stop. Don't vote for sock puppets. Don't give them your vote. No matter who. And if somebody you trusted in and believed in starts caving in, stop voting for them. Go vote for somebody who might want to primary them. We have to stop giving our votes to anyone who doesn't deserve them. If you see a promising new candidate, go ahead and vote for them but then hold them accountable later and then primary the shit out of them if they don't match up to your stated values. We could actually do this, people. We need to get the word out to each other, past the stupid media blockade, but then we need to hold each other accountable once we know the truth. So let's work together to get the truth out there and then hold each other accountable. No corporate sock puppets, no matter who.